You know, one of the things that I enjoy about the end of the year are all of the shows and sometimes the magazines that will put the the year in review. You know what I'm talking about? They'll show the top stories or things and you think, oh, I forgot about that. But I'll be honest with you, this year I only watched one of those year in review shows. It just seemed like all the news was discouraging this year. I'm not saying it was, but the way it was reported seemed to be so dark and so dim and so negative. So instead, when I was looking for the top news stories of 2019, I went to the most trusted name in news. No, I didn't go to the New York Times. I certainly didn't go to CNN. I didn't even go to Fox News. Instead, I went to the Babylon Bee. Now... For those of you who are unaware, have not been enlightened to this, this website, this is a satirical site that takes the news stories, and they're not really factual stories, but there's just enough truth in there that it makes you go, hmm, I'm not so sure about that. So I thought we would look at, according to the Babylon Bee, the top seven news stories of 2017. So be prepared. I'm going to try to equally offend everyone today. Uh, this is not from me. But this is from the website. Number one, mother seeks emergency surgery to remove VBS songs lodged in her brain. <laughs> one paragraph in that article, it said, local mom Stephanie Orchard was a happy mother of three. That is until she took her kids to Riverside Lutheran Church's vacation Bible school this year. Now she's nearly a dozen, now she has nearly a dozen incredibly catchy, extremely repetitive VBS songs permanently lodged in her brain. <laughs> the second one I liked was motorcyclist who identifies as bicyclist sets current world record. <laughs> the story says, in an inspiring story from the world of professional cycling, a motorcyclist who identifies as a bicyclist has crushed all the regular bicyclists, setting an unbelievable world record. The next two, archaeologists discover blue confetti from Mary and Joseph's gender reveal party. <laughs> it's a boy. Congratulations. Number four, Chip and Joanna Gaines hired to install shiplap on the border wall. I was worried about that one. Sefsi is all right. Where are the Humphreys? Are the Humphreys here? All right, they're probably downstairs. Oh, they're right here. Okay, this one's for you. Dave Ramsey releases Should I Buy This Magic 8-Ball that always answers no. <laughs> They've taught the Dave Ramsey class. Here's the article. says, ask the Ramsey 8-Ball if you should buy that new golf club set. Give it a shake, and it will respond, are you nuts? Ramsey is selling the 8-Ball for $99. He says it's okay to make this one purchase, though, since it will save you from a bunch of other unnecessary purchases. <laughs> This next one's risky, but I like it anyway. Churchgoer takes a knee in protest as newfangled chorus added to classic hymn. <laughs> David Sutton, that was for you. The article says, local churchgoer Herb Patterson took a knee in protest Sunday morning as the worship band added a chorus to the classic hymn before the throne of God above. He responded to the congregation, here I, here I kneel, I can do no other, God help me. And my favorite one, the last one. Man lying on couch covered in thin layer of Cheeto dust refers to favorite sports team as we. <laughs> the article says, local man Bob Paulson always refers to his favorite sports teams in the first person plural. Though the teams are exerting themselves and playing really hard, while he himself is lying on a couch covered in a thin layer of Cheeto dust. 
quote, our receivers are killing us, he said, shaking his head while watching the game Saturday night. Come on, we've, we've got to do better, he shouted. Sadly, his favorite sports team has never heard of him. <laughs> you know, it's important whether it's we look at the news, whether we just have some laughs, it's important that just as in our personal life, sometimes that's what we do is we turn the page on a new year, certainly in our work life, but I think it's important even as a church that we spend time constantly evaluating where we've been. That we look not only where we've been, but we see, okay, why are we where we are if we're going to make plans for how we're going to move forward? My hope is that as a church, that we are never satisfied. We're never complacent. We never say, oh, now we've arrived. Now we can just rest. But instead, we are always straining forward. And we're always doing our best. There's one key word that if I could say, this is what I hope that we do at First Baptist this year. It's this word, intentional. That we are intentional with why we do what we do. The Apostle Paul, when he was in prison, he wrote these words to the church at Philippi. Now remember, as I read these um, two verses, that he wrote these words from prison. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, and here's the key phrase, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So as a church family, we need to make sure that we are always straining forward, that we're always leaning forward instead of just aimlessly drifting towards what's easy, aimlessly drifting towards what's convenient, what is in our DNA. And the only way that this is going to happen is if we stop long enough to first evaluate where we have been, but then also to spend time in prayer to spend time praying that we do two certain things. The two things that we must do. Number one, we must focus our time and energy on the most important things. See, it would be so easy for us to focus on the trivial things of life. And by the way, I'm not even saying the trivial things aren't important. Sometimes they are important. But if we're not careful... If we focus on the less important things, then we will neglect the matters that God has called us to in his word that he clearly says these are the things that will make an eternal difference. Don't get so distracted about the temporary that you neglect fulfilling the calling of the church, which is clearly is fulfilling the great commission. And hear me on this church, it happens so um, slowly. Satan's crafty. He's not going to turn us just like that overnight. Not overnight that a church begins to focus completely on themselves. That instead of looking outside the walls of this building, we end up looking completely inside. It doesn't happen overnight that we take God's word and we loosen our grip on God's word to make it more palatable to what the world wants us to believe so that we fit in with the world. No, it happens over a course of years that you neglect this and that because you prioritize things that aren't of eternal matters. And then you look back as a church and say, how in the world did we end up here? I'll tell you what happens. 
It happens because Satan, although he cannot have our soul, we talked about that last week, if we have given our lives to Jesus, he can do all that he can to keep us busy and to keep us distracted on less important, trivial, temporary matters. And as a result of focusing our time, focusing our energy on the temporary things, then we don't emphasize, we don't prioritize things of eternal value. Remember, this is our natural bend. This is our natural tendency to focus on things that we want to focus on instead of the things of the Lord. Remember the old hymn, prone to what? Wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So first, we must make sure that we're focusing on things of the most important nature. But then secondly, we must do all that we can to ensure that we are all moving, key phrase here, in the same direction. Make sure that we're not just spending all of our energy doing the best that we can, but we're actually spending our energy moving in the same direction. Over Christmas break, Noah and Annarise and I were riding our bikes in our neighborhood, and we went to a, a local playground. While we were on that playground, we looked up, and there were a flock of geese that were flying. And they were flying in the shape of a V. You know what I'm talking about? And Noah looked up, and he said, Daddy, why do they fly like that? And there's a picture on the screen. Do you know the answer? I didn't. I had to look it up. But there's two reasons that geese flock, that geese um, will fly in this pattern. Number one, it conserves their energy. The most difficult position in that pattern is in the front. And they, the, the geese will take turns flying in the front, and then, they, then they'll go to the back so that they can conserve their energy so that they can fly for a longer period of time without stopping to rest. The second reason they fly in that formation is to make sure that it's easier to keep track of every bird in the group. Flying in that, that formation, it assists them with communication. They can, they can um, coordinate with each other in the group. Wow, we can learn a lot from these geese from how we operate as a church, can't we? That what if we as a church said that we want to conserve our energy by making sure that, that this person's leading, but then it's not just the same people always doing all the work. That we make sure that we're through small groups where this occurs, that we have constant communication, constant um, care and love and prayer that we're keeping up with one another. See, we can accomplish so much more as a church if we will work together. If we will say, this is the vision, these are our priorities, this is where we are going, instead of all of us spending 100% of our energy, but we're all going in different directions. The church, and I don't mean this building, I mean the body of believers, what we have here is a gift from God, but we will never be able to accomplish all that he wants us to do until we are all moving in the same direction. So, how are we doing as a church? I want us to look at both where we've been in the past, we're going to look at the last five years, but more in particular, where have we been in the last year? How have we been doing in certain areas? Then, I'm going to wrap up and we're going to sing some uh, songs, but then the second portion of this message, I'm going to focus on what are the areas that we need to prioritize, that we need to emphasize as we move into 2020 together as we work together, hopefully, to emphasize and prioritize the same things. 
Now, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I hesitate focusing on numbers. We all know that numbers do not tell the complete story, right? But at the same time, we know that every number has a name. You've heard me say this before. Every name has a story, and every story matters to God. So hear me on this, church. We will not judge our success, air quotes, based on our numbers. You say, why not? Monday afternoon, I talked with a friend of mine. He's been a pastor of the same church for the last year and a half in Birmingham. In the past year and a half, hear me on this, that church gained 300 new members. They raised in one year six and a half million dollars to build a new sanctuary. Two weeks before Christmas, they fired their pastor. 300 new members, six and a half million dollars. And yet there was so much turmoil going on between the elders and the deacons and the pastor behind the scenes that they fired their pastor two weeks before Christmas. We must be careful in understanding you cannot judge success simply based on numbers. We are called as a church not to be successful, but here's the key word, faithful. May we as a church be found faithful with what he has entrusted to us. First and foremost, that we're faithful to his word. Secondly, that we're faithful to the people, the body of believers that we love and care and support. Faithful to the mission of carrying out the Great Commission. Not just caring about those right here in Decatur, but all throughout the world. But... We unashamedly, we unapologetically hope and desire to see more and more people transformed by the gospel of Jesus. Not so that we can say, hey, what a great church we are, but because of what God has instilled in us in the hope of the gospel, we hope, we desire to grow as a church. Why? Because we believe what's happening here is is a good thing. We believe what's happening in and through First Baptist is a wonderful thing. That our worship, hopefully, is pure, that it's genuine, that it's not reflected towards any individual, but it all goes back to God himself. That we are giving people opportunities to grow in Bible study, whether it's Wednesdays, whether it's Sundays, whether it's different days of the week. We believe that there's community and then relationships that are forming. We believe that we are actively serving our community, that we, we understand that we've all been called to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. And if we're not careful... Our tendency, again, going back to we're prone to what? It's to become complacent. It's to sit back and take a deep breath and say, whew, now we're in a good spot. So, how are we doing in terms of of reaching others? This first chart you're going to see is in our worship attendance. You'll see that's for the last several years. Last year, in 2019, our average worship attendance was 600 and 79 people here. That's an average over the 52 Sundays. The trend our last five years has been fairly steady. Now, we're trending in the right way, but to be honest with you, there's no dramatic growth that we've had. We've still got plenty of room to grow and to share about what God is doing in and through this fellowship. Now, last year, LifeWay released a study And the study revealed that 65% of Southern Baptist churches are either declining or have plateaued. Let that soak in for a minute as we look at that chart up there. 
Only three and a half out of every 10 churches in America that are Southern Baptist are actually growing. So I'm thankful that we're in a church family that we do see growth. What kind of growth do we see? Well, let's look at new members. Last year, we saw 84 people walk down front or through first steps that they joined the church. We had a strong 2018, 85 new members and a strong 2019. Over the last five years, we've had 306 people to actually join our church. Let me give you another statistic that LifeWay put in their study. And if this statistic doesn't cause us to pause, if it doesn't cause us to take a deep breath and evaluate not only what we are doing, but why we're doing, I'm not sure what will. The study said this, that in 2019, hear me on this, 64% of young adults who were raised in an evangelical church quit going to church. 64% of students like ours that were raised in church, that by the time they became young adults, by the time they were in college and out of college, they said, church is no longer important to me, and they quit going. We can't be satisfied with where we're headed. More on that in the second part of our message. How about in our small groups? How are we doing in connecting people to a small group? That's so incredibly valuable. Not just what happens at 1030, but what happens in small groups. That's where we can truly get to know one another. That's how we care for one another. That's where prayer requests come. That's where the meals come when someone's sick and that we can take care of one another. This one should cause us to raise our eyebrows. There's no way I can sugarcoat this one. I can't say, oh, well, here's reason why. It is what it is. We're moving clearly in the wrong direction. Over the last five years, you can see from where we were five years ago to where we are today, we have lost an average of 60 average people attending a small group Bible study. Now again, this trend is tricky. This isn't isn't just our church that's struggling to grow in terms of small groups. This is a national trend, but we cannot accept the status quo. We can't say, well, it just is what it is and continue to see a downward, downward spiral in small groups. Baptisms. This is one that I track closely. I hope that we stay focused on reaching others, not only to attend First Baptist. That's not what we're, that's not our end result, but our end result is that they would be transformed by the power of the gospel and they would, would see baptism. Let me give you a little bit of context here. That one's already up there, but it's okay. Um, well, let's go and, while they're up there, I'll go and get there. We saw 32 people get baptized in 2019. Last, over the last five years, we've seen 144 people get baptized. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's worthy of applause to say, thank you, God. <laughs> Again, if that's not what we're about as a church, what are we doing about seeing people transform? Let me give you a little bit of context here. 2018, our denomination saw the fewest number of baptisms in our entire history I have to go all the way back to 1940 when we saw this few baptisms. And in 1940, our denomination was half the size that it is today. We have to focus and prioritize on baptisms. Finally, how about in the area of giving? You say, why are you talking about giving? Well, giving shows that this is stewardship is discipleship. We know that God doesn't need our money, right? God can accomplish anything that he wants with or without our money. What he ultimately wants isn't our finances. What he wants is our heart. 
But when we give, we're proving that he has the first place in our lives. And remember, God calls us to give the first fruits, not our leftovers, but the first portion of what we give, what we receive, we give back to the Lord, not just when it's convenient. 2 Corinthians, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So how are we doing in the area of giving back to the Lord? In 2019, we had a very strong financial year. It was the most given to our church in almost a decade, $2.53 million that was given to the church to do the work of God. Now, um, on this chart, you're going to see, let's go and put that next chart up there. That was last year. You can see there was a, a dip in 2018. You say, well, why, why did we struggle in 2018? Well, if you'll remember, in 2018, we also paid off our debt. Um, you gave $630,000 in less than six months. So if you add that, the next chart's going to show you that in 2018, we actually gave away over $3 million to the church. Elizabeth Elliot, she was the wife of a famous Christian missionary, um, Jim Elliot, that maybe you've heard of, who um, he died taking the gospel to the Alka Indians. She tells this story, this fable, which I think it speaks volumes about us not being able to outgive God. This is what she said. There's an old story of a king who went into the village streets to greet his subjects. A beggar sitting by the roadside eagerly held up his alms bowl, sure that the king would give handsomely. But instead, the king asked the beggar to give him something. Taken aback, the beggar fished three grains of rice from his bowl and dropped them into the king's outstretched hand. When at the end of the day, the beggar poured out what he had received, he found, to his astonishment, three grains of pure gold in the bottom of his bowl. And he responded, oh, that I had given him all. Church family, I hope that it doesn't take us getting to the end of our lives to realize that God didn't need anything from us. Remember, he's, he says that he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We cannot say that God is first priority in our life. We cannot say that God has everything in our lives, that he is first place in our lives while we're still clinging on to our wallets. We cannot say that you're first place in your, our life if we don't trust him even in the area of our finances. And I would challenge all of us. We can easily go home and pull up our online bank statement and would it prove, would it show that we are placing him first in our lives, even in our financial life? As we've spent some time looking at where we've been in our remaining few moments, I want to look quickly at what we're going to be focusing on in 2020. Now, I'll be honest with you, I had 14 things I was going to share with you, but I'm going to narrow them down to three, all right? It's hard to prioritize 14, although I'm going to be looking at them carefully. Let's look quickly just at three specific areas that I hope will define us as a church in 2020. So let's look at those quickly. You remember our strategy is reach, connect, serve. So we're going based off of that. And reach, we are going to focus on evangelism. See, it's one thing for us to have a burden for our lost friends. It's one thing to have a burden for our coworkers and our family members that do not know Christ as Savior. 
But it's another thing to know that I'm confident that I could begin a conversation of what it means to follow Jesus. It's another thing to say, I'm confident that I have the words, that I have the scripture memorized, that I can walk through the plan of salvation with someone. So in 2020, we're going to focus specifically, my desire is that every single believer, if you're here, that you will be equipped to know how to share your testimony that you'll know how to share here's what it takes for a person to be saved. We're specifically going to focus on that in February on Wednesday nights. On Wednesday nights, we're all together, and we're going to be walking for three weeks on how to write your testimony, how to share the gospel with someone. You say, wait, well, I'm, in, I'm with the students, or I'm with the, the children, I'm, I'm in choir and orchestra. All those will be on our website, and we'll download those as well. Who's Your One was a focus that we had in 2019. We're going to continue that in 2020. You say, why? Because that, that wasn't just a gimmick. It's not just a gimmick to say, hey, well, let's be burdened for those that we know and we want them to experience the love of Jesus Christ. But we always want to have a burden to share the gospel. We should always be praying, God, who have you put? I call it in my sphere of influence that if they were to die today, they would spend an eternity separated from you. And if that doesn't break our hearts, I'm not sure we truly understand the gospel. But we're going to provide several opportunities for you as a church family to bring your one to church with you. Now we hope, and Matt and I work every single week to plan a service that you could bring a visitor, a guest, an unchurched person, and they would feel warm and welcome and loved here in our church. But here's five key dates that I want you to write down that we're strategizing, that we're orchestrating for you specifically to bring an unchurched person. The first is we're going to have a parenting conference on Saturday, March the 7th. We're going to gear this for preschool and children, um, elementary age, but, but middle school and high school will be involved as well. Buddy and Lynn Champion and Lance and Jill Pate, many of you know, they're coming back and they're going to be leading that conference on that Saturday night. It's just a one-night deal. We're going to have dinner all together, but that's going to be an incredible opportunity. They may not come to Sunday morning, but they'll come. And by the way, Buddy's going to stay the next day on that March 8th, and he'll preach on that Sunday morning. A great opportunity to invite someone. Another opportunity. Easter is April the 12th, an easy opportunity to pray and say, God, would you give me the boldness and courage to invite my unchurched person on Easter Sunday? Number three, on Saturday, April the 25th, Rick Burgess will be coming here. We're going to have a men's night. All the men of the church that we're going to have um, just say, hey, would you come? And he's just, no one preaches the gospel and has a burden for the gospel like Rick Burgess. He's going to be here again. He's going to stay. Um, that should, says Friday. It should say Saturday. I apologize. That was my fault, not the screens up there. Um, it's Saturday, April 25th. He's going to stay, and then he will preach on Sunday, the 26th. Um, VBS is always an opportunity to invite your grandkids, your co-workers' kids, whoever doesn't go to church, and that's June 1st through the 4th. And then obviously at Christmas, there are two key opportunities. Our, our Christmas music will be the 13th um, of December, and then it's hard to believe we're already talking about December, right? We just finished it. And then we have two candlelight services on the 20th and the 24th evangelism. It's got to be a part of who we are as a church. Secondly, in the area of Connect, and that's discipleship. How are we becoming active disciple makers in our church? The Great Commission isn't just to go, make, go, go and baptize people. It says go and make what? 
disciples, not just converts and, hey, check the box, hey, they're, they're, they're Christians. We've got to make disciples. Go back to that statistic I shared with you a minute ago that 64% of young adults who were raised in church said it wasn't worth their time. The month of October, you graciously gave me a sabbatical that I took four weeks off. One of those Sundays, Lindsay and I, we took our family to Atlanta, Georgia. And that Sunday morning, we went to a church. It's called Passion City Church. During that church service, they had three baptisms of young adults. They were in their 20s, maybe early 30s. During that, those baptisms, they shared their testimony. It wasn't just a 30-second testimony. It was a, a three, four, five-minute testimony. And here's what the testimonies were. Every single, all three of them. We were raised in church. We were there for RAs and GAs. They didn't specifically say that, but we were there every time the doors were open, but we didn't understand the gospel until we came to Passion City Church. Lindsay and I looked at each other when we were driving home. We were both thinking the same thing, and that was, how do we make sure that five to 10 years from now, students from First Baptist Church Decatur aren't at another church saying, we were raised in church, but we never understood the gospel was not based on what I do, but the gospel was based on a relationship with Jesus. We've got to do better than what we're doing. Cultural Christianity is a thing of the past. Just saying, well, we live in the Bible Belt. People are going to go to church. That's not true anymore. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, I don't think, either. See, we've got to make sure that we don't become what I call an attractional church that we build our church on gimmicks or slogans or by building a church based on what people want to hear, but we must be faithful that we will always be, as this church has been for the past 180 years, a church that is founded and built upon the Word of God, that we won't loosen our grip on the Bible. So our goal in 2020 is to start, just start with 10 small discipleship groups. You say, what do you mean by a discipleship group? I mean three to five people the same gender, who meet together for one year to intentionally grow in their walk with the Lord. There'll be one leader for this group, and they will walk through life together, but here's the key word, intentionally focused on growing in their walk with the Lord. You're going to hear a lot more about this in, in the months to come, um, but to me, this is the key to ensuring that we become more devoted followers of Jesus not just, hey, check the box, and then we end up leaving. Finally, serve. I believe that every committed member, every active member of this church should be serving somewhere on Sunday or Wednesday. It's a bold statement. Let me say it again. If you are a committed member, you have a role to play on Sunday or on Wednesdays. Not every single Sunday or every single Wednesday, but you should be doing something. The church needs you. You have been gifted by God. You have been spiritually equipped with something, and this church will not be all that she is supposed to be until every single person believes it's his or her responsibility to join in what God is doing, not sitting and enjoying the benefits of being a part of this church, but actively serving in the church. On the ends of your pews, there's a card that says serve. I want you to take one and pass them down. It looks like this. I think they're on both sides of the pew. 
You say, well, I don't know where to serve. I don't know exactly where I can plug in because I'm not going to be able to, to teach Sunday school. I can't do this pub. Well, there's lots of areas. I'm not going to read this, but I want you to take these home and put these in your Bible and pray, is God calling me? Is he leading me to one of these opportunities to serve? Again, I'm not going to go through those. You can read. There's more than a dozen opportunities for how you can serve in this church. There are so many other opportunities that we're going to focus on in 2020. My prayer is that we'll have an additional mission trip opportunity um, this year. My prayer is that we're going to adopt an unreached people group that we're going to focus on, that we're going to focus on taking God's word, that we're going to send people to go and actually be the hands and feet missionaries of those people. I hope that we give more. I hope that we go more in our community and around the world than we've ever been before. I hope that this community knows that there is a church at downtown and First 123 Church Street that loves them and cares for them, and we're taking the gospel to them, but the way we're doing it is by first showing them how much we care for them, showing them how much we love them. We've got to focus on additional small groups. I think one of the ways that we're going to do this is by adding off-campus groups to say, what are some affinity groups that you fit in? Because we've got to think outside of the box in order to get people connected in small groups. One of the most important ministries that we're adding that, that Jack Loveless is, is in charge of right now is something that, that Carl Kuby's helping. It's called grief care. As a church family, I think one of the most important things that we can do is walk with our church members through the roughest year of their life, which is the first year they lose a loved one, a spouse, a child. How do we as a church family, not just say, hey, praying for you, but we are a keyword intentionally walking through life with them, showing them that we love them and that we are there for them. We're going to focus on prayer. We would do prayer text, but I would love to have an army of people. It's on here. We've got some deacons already doing this, that before 9.15 every single Sunday, that every pew is prayed over, that every seat in the balcony is prayed over, that every chair in the choir loft in the orchestra is prayed over, that you just say, yeah, count me in. I'll be here at 9 o'clock, 8.30. I don't care what time. We don't have to have a, an organized effort, but that we would pray over our church, pray over our sanctuary. Finally, we're going to ask the question, how do we best utilize this incredible facility that has been entrusted to us? We have been given so much. And hear me, you're going to hear a lot about this in, in the next couple of weeks. But how do we revitalize this campus, this incredible space, with one focus in mind, and that is to reach our community? We can't just say, hey, well, it's good like it is. No, no, we've got to make sure that we revitalize so that it is effective in 2020 to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Church, let's live out what Jesus preached. The final verse here on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, no, do people, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory, not to the church, not to individuals, but give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Church, it's now or never. 
We cannot become complacent. We cannot become satisfied. We're not going to say, hey, well, we had a good year last year. We must say today is the day that God has entrusted to us. We are going to be faithful stewards to the time, to the energy, to the finances, to all that he has given to us, and we're going to lay it on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are going to say that he is first, that he is foremost, that he is preeminent, that he is the most important thing in our life, and this community is going to be changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ because we stop saying it's about me, and we say it's all about him. How can we honor him and let's give him everything that we have because church, he alone is worthy. And that is our prayer in 2020. Would you pray with me? God, we give everything that we have to you. We thank you for the transforming power of the gospel that for many of us that we have tasted and we have received the gift of forgiveness and the gift of salvation. And we know that it's from you, and we say thank you. Lord, if there's someone here today that has not trusted you as their Savior, I pray that today they would call out and ask you to forgive them, and they would find a Savior who's waiting and longing to call them a child. Lord, I pray for our church. Lord, keep us from becoming so distracted by the temporary that we miss the eternal purposes of our church that we miss the mission of why we exist. And we ask that you would be honored and glorified in all that is said and done in and through your church in this upcoming year. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.